Welcome to another episode of Undisciplined, a collaborative podcast between the African and African American Studies program at the University of Arkansas and KUAF. The podcast provides a holistic understanding of complex issues that affect our interconnected world. Taking the interdisciplinary approach of African and African American Studies to the classroom, into the community, onto the airwaves, and beyond. I am your host, Dr. Karee Banton, and for this fifth season, I have a new co-host. Nenebi Tony. Now let's get into it. Well, welcome to another episode of Undisciplined. And, of course, as an interdisciplinary program, I'd like to ask the question, what does someone studying economics have to do with black studies? Now, you know, when we offer someone an African and African American studies undergraduate degree, we have some key learning objectives that they walk away with knowing, right? Students must be able to understand the different interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary methodologies, right? Um, Because as we've discussed before, you know, this podcast is dedicated to looking at black people in various facets of, of life and in the university, in the various disciplines. So when students come in African and African American studies, if they take the intro course, they're learning about law, they're learning about literature, they're learning about economics, they're learning about sociology, they're learning about history, and so on. So they're learning about the methodologies of these different disciplines. They're also learning about intersectional identities, right, that a person you know, having multiple identities, they might be poor, they might be Latino, they might be a a gay person. So it cannot be that we're making an analysis of that person from a sexual vantage point, that all of those perspectives need to be brought to bear, right? Um, We're also thinking about students walking away with... uh, a degree in this program should be able to understand mechanisms of oppression, right? While, you know, excavating um, the affected population's myriad forms of resistance to these mechanisms of oppression, right? So if you learn about indigenous people like Standing Rock, that kind of a subaltern resistance, right? How they've developed counter-narratives, the 1619 Project, as we've heard and we've seen in our current zeitgeist, the kinds of waves that has been making because it is standing as an affront to the narrative that has been put out about America, right? So students are able to kind of learn about oppression and injustice and exploitation Um, psychological and physical terror. And so they're seeking greater understanding of how we kind of look at the the silences that might exist in the literature, in the academy, about how we study these kinds of things, the practices. There are places where there are no black people. Now people are like, oh, black people were never here. (laughs) Well, what do you know? They were here and then they were bombed out. 
you know. So how do you study that kind of erasure? What kind of discipline? Do we need archaeology? Do we need history? Do we need sociology? Do we need anthropology? That kind of interdisciplinary African and African-American studies framework to kind of unravel and reveal, you know, what might have transpired and to look at the kinds of rituals and cultural creation that nurture and sustain the consciousness of people who are resisting, right? How they're adapting to the issues that they come up on, how they might appropriate or accommodate or acquiesce to some of these issues. And then another big thing with Black Studies too is to realize that progress is not linear. It takes 10 steps, um, one step forward and 10 steps back. You know, I'm sure people thought, oh, you know, we can ask the question even, the civil rights movement, how much progress was made? And are we still progressing forward or have we moved back? Right? We can look at the Voting Rights Act, John Lewis's <laughs> Voting Rights Act how that has been gutted and gerrymandering and all the other things that has affected um, that key piece of advancement that black people made. So looking at different disciplinary practices, looking at studying oppression, looking at studying resistance, you know, we have to look at, you know, a discipline like economics. And we have, we have examples of people, of economists who are, uh, faculty employed in African African American studies. If we look for, at, for instance, at Sandy William Sandy Darity, um, who is the Samuel Du Bois Cook Professor of Public Policy, African American Studies and Economics, and the director of the Samuel Du Bois Cook Center on Social Equity at Duke University, he's a big standout, right? He was chair of the African African American Studies program there. He has been the director of research on racial and ethnic inequities at Duke University. And his research focuses on inequality by race, class, and ethnicity, right? The schooling and achievement gaps, right? North-South theories of trade and development, um, skin shade and labor market outcomes, um, the economics of reparations, right? The Atlantic slave trade and the Industrial Revolution, the history of economics, and the social psychological effects of exposure to unemployment. So economics as a field has much to do with African and African American studies. And though many people might not know that, we have faculty in economics who are deeply involved in this practice. Um, Dr. Darity's recent books, From Here to Equality, Reparations for Black Americans in the 21st Century, that was published by UNC Press in 2020, right? And a bunch of other works are, are coming from economists who are using that framework in African African-American studies looking at oppression and power dynamics within um, the United States to kind of explore um, these social issues, uh, economic issues um, of our time. And we have someone kind of like that. We have our own Sandy Darity, if I could say it. <laughs> Maybe even more powerful because this brother, did you know he was recently named a 40, one of the 40 under, under 40, 40 yeah. in Northwest Arkansas? Yeah. I was like, what? 
Our guest today for the Undisciplined Podcast is Alan Hatch. And he currently serves uh, as a senior graduate assistant at the University of Arkansas while pursuing his PhD in economics and plans to defend his thesis in early 2024. Um, he, um, alongside those kinds of academic pursuits, he is a treasurer for the Graduate and Professional Student Congress and the Black Student. Um, he's also part of the Black Graduate Student Association. He hails from Little Rock, and um, he brought with him a bachelor's degree in mathematics. I can't even count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trig almost got me up out of college. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, had to, I had to take a trick that was like, nah, nah, this career <laughs> is not going to work out. You know, um, a bachelor's degree in mathematics, a master's degree in business administration, a master's degree in applied economics, all earned at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Right. But he's also cultivated a strong desire um, to kind of use his academic interests for the betterment of others, which if you listen to our one of our recent podcasts, this is something that we greatly advocate in African and African-American studies. Yeah. He has actively participated in after school programming that is aimed at assisting children from economically disadvantaged backgrounds, um, you know, doing a variety of things. So. As an economist, he is very interested, much like Sandy Darity, in addressing disparities, wealth distribution, education, and he remains committed to tackling these from an educational policy perspective, looking at, looking at, uh, looking at it from his own study of um, expertise and economic lens, right? And um, we know that there is not a bunch of people um, in um, our black people as economists in the field. So I am sure his contribution is, of course, meaningful. So I want to, you know, thank, uh, I'm going to call you Brazil because yeah, I don't know where this Alan Hatch <laughs> came from. <laughs> I want to welcome you to Undiscipline. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I feel like calling me Brazil is like when I've, Invited you to the cookout, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the cookout. <laughs> yeah. But when We're I'm trying all... to get out of tickets, you know, it's Alan, right? And yes. I'm applying, it's Alan. But, like, once you know me, though, you can call me Brazil. Yeah. Oh. I remember I sent you an email, and then the first time I sent you an email was Alan, and you were like, no, nah, you can call me Brazil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I like I respect economists a lot because I wanted to be an economist. And the reason why I, w I went the legal route and became a lawyer instead of an economist was because... Lord, I didn't have any calculations in it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, figures, numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I can, uh, I can tab your tip for you real quickly. <laughs> us chatty people, numbers don't work for yeah. us very well. <laughs> so uh, let's start off, and we have a lot to cover here. I'm so excited. You know, talking about how did you get to the University of Arkansas? What kind of um, drove you to, to come up here to get this economics degree? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so, you know, I was, I was living in Little Rock before, and, uh, you know, I'll be honest and say that, like, there was the proximity of it. You know, I'd been there for a while, so I didn't want to get too, like, far away from friends and family. Um, you know, the university is, like, the flagship institution in the state. You mean the University of Arkansas is a flagship university? That's right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, 
kind of going through doing kind of my due diligence, it just seemed like it'd be a good place for me. Um, you know, especially with, you know, uh, Walmart and Tyson and uh, the chicken one. Uh, well, J.B. Hunt. J.B. Hunt. <laughs> right. Being in the area. Tyson is the chicken one. Yeah, yeah. Tyson's the chicken <laughs> one. J.B. Hunt is transportation. That's right. Yes, the logistics. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that being in the area, you know, in case I wanted to go and leave academia afterwards, it just seemed like a good space. Yeah. Mm, wow. So did, did Little Rock, growing up in Little Rock, kind mm. of like, kind of, did you look up on the hill and was like, were you in awe of the University of Arkansas? Mm. No. No! (laughs) (laughs) Actually, uh, I had gotten into uh, UA as an undergrad, and um, I had a full ride and everything. But just, like, culturally speaking, in the way that, like, people that looked like me, you know, would characterize Northwest Arkansas, I was like, hmm, I don't know. What did they say? Uh, They said that, you know... Got to say this on a podcast, but it's like, <laughs> it's not really for you. You know, there aren't a lot of people up there that look like you. Uh, the food's not as good, you mm. know, and um, you'd be better off just kind of staying here. And uh, so, you know, not really knowing much about the area, being young, you know, I just kind of like took the advice of others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know. Wow. And I'm curious. Since you've been here, do you do your experience match what the characterization? Um, you know, I would say as a grad student, I think you have a different experience. A different than the experience than undergrad. You're yeah, older. Agree, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, not just being older, but even like the demographic density, you know, is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the area as a whole, I actually do like it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot nicer than I thought it would be. I, I mm-hmm. love up here. I love the the trees. I like and the hills. A lot. The hills yeah. and, you know, just I mm-hmm. think the people as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's nice up here. And uh, there's more there's more of us than I thought there would be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think people lied per se, but, like, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. And, like, once you kind of find your community, which I will say is is a difficult it's thing. It's difficult. Yes. Yeah. But like once you find the community, you know, especially since it's so small, uh, you, you do kind of feel like a bit more at ease and more more at home. Did you find your community by following people home from Walmart? Because N- that's stalking. I had to learn that. <laughs> people do that? I, I tried to do it when I got here because <laughs> I asked people to take me to the black community and nobody knew where it was. Ooh. And I couldn't believe that. Nobody knew where it was. Like, they would point to Willow, which is the historic <laughs> black community. And I was right. like, you know, coming from Nashville and mm. knowing where the black community was. And I could go to TSU or, mm. you know, I could go to Meharry. Right. You yeah. know, there are all these black space right. there. And I was like, where is the black community? And nobody could tell me. So whenever I saw black people in Walmart, I'm like... Where do you live, Pam? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, <laughs> you, you know? know. I think yeah. that's something like that I'd read recently that the NWA MLK Council is trying to help deal oh. with. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I won't speak to their stuff, but yeah. I, I will say though that like there aren't a lot of like solely black spaces here. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just like go out to like and stumble across a, like a club or yes. like yeah. a restaurant. You know, not saying we don't have any, but it's it's difficult to find. Yeah, I mean, there are spaces where you see majority black people, right? 
here? Maybe. When we, we arrange are, it. When you are in the, okay, if you guys. I mean, black-owned NWA black is doing owned, a very good yeah, job now NWA of, like, well to directing people. Like that, right, yeah. but that's online. Yes. That's, that's a yeah. digital presence. And know. they do organize events from time to time. They do. They do. I mean, I think there's effort here trying to kind of push for that. But, you know, even when I started five years ago, it was a lot smaller right. than what it is now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's incremental, but it's, it's, it's good, though. And, and, I mean, for people listening who might be thinking about oh, these black people going on and on right. about black space, mm-hmm. you know, why would you say that's important for, you know, people to have, for students, undergraduate right. or graduate students to have? Yeah, I mean, um, I would say it's, it's there's the familiarity piece. There's a little in-group, out-group going on, you know. Um, it's It's nice to be able to, like, come to a group where uh, you can be a little bit more comfortable, you know, and kind of being yourself. You know, it's it's always an interesting thing to me when we start to talk about our space. Uh, you know, at the university, we're only like four-something percent. Four percent, yes. Of the 30,000. 32,000 as of recently. Right, right. And like our percentage didn't, didn't go up, if I'm not mistaken. And so that's just, there just aren't a lot of us. And like, you know, sometimes when other people get into our spaces, they feel uncomfortable. But like 95, 96% of my time, I'm like not around people that look like me. Yeah. And like coming with that is like the culture, there's like the music, there's the history. Validation of who you are as a person. Right. And just like having someone that has more understanding of who you are. Instead of always having to be like explain. representative or like explain, yeah, exactly. Code switch. <laughs> Code switch to an extent, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's just kind of nice to have if you have it. And you know what? In terms of you know, we could talk about privilege, and certainly all of us have privilege. I have privilege as a professor, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I witness students kind of come to terms with this when I take students on study abroad trips. Mm-hmm. Um, white students, Hispanic students, black students went on study abroad this summer. And, you know, I, I notice and we have these reflections, conversations on study abroad when the white students find themselves a minority right. in a <laughs> predominantly black country. Right. Oh, you're like, oh, are they looking at me? What is wrong? You know, right. you know, yeah. is it is, am I doing something weird? And they're coming <laughs> to ask me and I'm like, no, you know, they're probably not even looking at you. But just to use that context to understand how a black person Mm. might feel when they have to be at a university where they don't see much of themselves. Mm -hmm. Imagine yourself as a white student on a study abroad in a, you know, in a a black country of like maybe 30 million. You know, that's an interesting point. So, you know, last year I was the the Black Grad Student Association president. Mm -hmm. And like, it was always a big push for me to, to have minority businesses come you know, to make sure that we kind of created some spaces for ourselves. But, you know, working with certain groups, at times it, it felt like there would be resistance to it, you know, when we would try and make like a, a predominantly black space. You know, it wasn't that we were excluding them. We would say like, hey, we're doing this for the black diaspora. You're more than welcome to come. And the response I would get at times would just be like, mm, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's for me. And it's like, it's for you 99% of the time, but like you're more than welcome to come and learn. And, um, 
you know, I don't know. I think it's just kind of telling. Of People don't time. want that discomfort. Right, exactly. But it's just like, it's such a funny thing to hear when, you know, there's so few of us, there are barely any of our spaces. And even when we do try and create like these little temporary pockets that last an hour or two or whatever, uh, even then, you know, at times some people are like offended. Undiscipline will be back after this commercial break. I'm Denisha Simpson. And I'm Joy McGowan. And, and we, we are, are the, the co-hosts to the, to the Resilient Black Women podcast. Our podcast is all about demystifying mental health for black women, women of color, and women everywhere. You can learn more about our work with our nonprofit and our podcast by visiting resilientblackwomen.org. You can also listen to our podcast at KUAF.com or subscribe to our podcast on any streaming platform. Welcome back. Talk, speak to how validating that is for because when I first got here mm-hmm. in I guess last year, my first there's there was no black student in my class until January. Uh, I didn't I never had any black person in my class my first two weeks and I didn't see any black person in the law school. I mean there are black people in the law school, which is like maybe like twenty people. But I didn't see any of them for that two weeks, right? And then the second Friday I went for a black student association meeting. And that was the first time I was seeing black people who were not from Ghana. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt so emotionally excited mm-hmm. because that was the first time. I was like, wow. <laughs> Did you know that you would feel like that? I didn't know that because I'm used to being black, the being black of- in, the, in Ghana. So I never really thought about being black. And that was actually mm. the first time I thought about myself as a black person, honestly. What do you mean you never thought about being black? Aren't there light-skinned people in Ghana? Yes, but, okay, so my fam- my dad uh, is... Or Brunies. Yeah, my dad is light-skinned, my mom is dark. So it wasn't something that I actively have to think about. Actively, okay. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not, that's like an interesting phrasing, you know, because, you know, for us, we've always been in this space that we've had to, like, work on. You know, if you're black and you're trying to get out the space, all the other black people are like, whoa, 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 where are you going? <laughs> you know, you're trying to get educated, you know? And, uh, you know, that's something that I try to push back on now that I'm older. Instead of just being like, ooh, you know, I'm, I'm, you're right. Now I'm more like, uh, is it not okay for, like, someone African-American to be educated? We can be educated. We can sound educated. We can have wealth. That's not necessarily... Uh, a white only thing, right? We can have those features in the same way. Mm-hmm. But since we touched on race, and you know, right here now, it's very interesting uh-huh. that we have um, uh-huh. somebody who's African American in Mr. Hatch. I'm from the Caribbean, uh-huh. uh, and, and I'm you, from Ghana, West Africa. And you're from Ghana, West Africa. To see how we think about race so differently, right? Uh-huh. Even and no, our various entryways into into race and specifically blackness, yeah. right? Um, how interesting that might be, you know, because uh, 
Hatch is, uh, you know, in the in the Black Graduate Students uh, Association are seeing all of these Black people who come to race differently, right? So, and, and the issue affects us all very differently. So I, I just want to offer that time to kind of think about, you know, your work in the Black Graduate Students Association and probably, mm -hmm. Tony, for you to offer some views about, you know, as, as someone who is in the Black Graduate Students Association, yeah. to how you think about race, too. So. Um, well, I would say last year was interesting because, like, COVID killed a lot of the student organizations. So, you know, last year I kind of had to, like, build us back up from mm -hmm. more or less nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess the black American mantra to some extent is, like, oh, you kind of look like me, so, like, we're cool. You know, <laughs> Listen, kinda, if yeah. you give somebody the black head nod on campus. Exactly. What's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they don't respond back. Oh my God, you're you're not invited to the cookout. No, no, not even, not even a <laughs> not little even bit. a yeah. lemonade. Not you don't get a little sip of water. Uh, You'll be surprised to hear me say this, right? But <laughs> I went to a metal rock event, right? <laughs> oh God! So, uh, just because you look like us doesn't mean that you are one of us. <laughs> I mean, so I went to a metal rock event. You know, there was this other black person over there. Okay. And when I entered. I nodded that she didn't nod back. And then <laughs> like, I guess I was talking to <laughs> another, I have a friend, my friend who invited me, of course, it was not a black person. So, I, and he knew that, that lady. And he tried to introduce us and then she was like kind of cold, right? And then I remember calling my friend, I'm like, I don't understand why I nodded that she didn't nod back and she was acting cold towards me. I mean, <laughs> we're the only two black people here. <laughs> I, did, I did the nod. I did the nod. It's a community <laughs> obligation. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I felt like, at that moment, I felt like I was more black than she was. <laughs> you might have been. <laughs> well, you know, it, it was an interesting challenge just because, you know, uh, you know, we're, we are all black, but at the same time... We, we come, don't think alike. We don't yeah. think alike. We're in the same way there are different flavors of, of white. There are different flavors of black. And so, like, that was an interesting challenge for me, uh, kind of trying to build something back up. And uh, kind of my approach to it, as best I could, was like, well, you know, it kind of starts with leadership, mm. right? And trying to, like, learn more about the other, you know, the other cultures. Um, and then also trying to invite the other cultures to be part of, like, the executive team. Mm -hmm. Just so that, you know, whenever we were kind of coming up with an event or wanted to do something, um, we could have, like, a diverse set of ideas. Absolutely. So, you know, we would have, uh, you know, we, what did we eat last year? We had Caribbean food. Mm -hmm. had yes. African smoked, food. I whatever. remember the last event, there were right. a lot of food from different cultures. Right, yeah. exactly. So we would try and kind of like represent everybody. But what it, what was nice about it was like it kind of created the space for us to communicate. And like, if you were just kind of walking past, you wouldn't think that we were all, you know, from different areas. And uh, I think you can see that this year, too, and that, uh, you know, people have come back to the Black Graduate Student Association with expectations now. Yes, mm -hmm. that, that's the new standard. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I appreciate you doing that because now even in the executive body, there's a lot of uh, diaspora representation in that. Mm -hmm. The vice president is from Ghana. There are mm -hmm. other people from Caribbean in the mm -hmm. association. And that's something that's a testament to what you tried to build last year and how that's translated to this year. So kudos to you. Well, thank you. Yourself. Yeah. But I mean, I think that kind of goes to the conversation we were kind of starting, right, about the different ways that we approach race. Like you had said, 
that you hadn't realized that you were black before, you know, is 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 that something that you could speak to a little bit more? Okay, so let me put it this way. So I mean, I know what you meant. Yeah, just, my first experience of thinking about black was my dad telling me that Condoleezza Rice, she was the national security <laughs> advisor at the time, right? My dad Condoleezza Rice too. What let is me. it with Condoleezza Rice? Because she was the most powerful <laughs> black person. Black, no, I feel like she, people felt like she was the most powerful person in the US during 9 11 because she was a national security advisor. Okay. And mm-hmm. so, if you are a person who is watching the world f- um, 9 11, the people you are going to see, apart from President Bush, were Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice, right? Mm-hmm. And they are both black people, right? Mm-hmm. And so, those were the first black people that. My dad was, okay, so these are the people who are leading the world. Because 9-11 wasn't really just an American thing. It was a worldwide Global event. Thing. Yes, mm-hmm. And those are the people who are leading the world through whatever we are going through right now. And they are black people just like you, right? Mm-hmm. And so my introduction to blackness was through those two people. And so their worldview and their politics, as, because I always was somebody who read over my grade level, right? Mm-hmm. So I was reading stuff that they were speeches that they were giving, articles that they had written, right? And so their way of thinking, then I want to, now that I think about it, probably that's what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Influenced my <laughs> view of the world. And just to, just to note, Colin Powell's family is actually from, we're from in Jamaica. Yeah, from Caribbean, yeah. Yeah, he's from Jamaica, <laughs> like the specific parish, or the area known for all the light skins. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, very fascinating. But, you know, that's interesting to kind of see, you know, how you become racialized, yeah. you know, and, and mm-hmm. what, how you come to know yourself in a particular way. And, you but know. I'm curious, too, you said your dad also talked to you about Condoleezza Rice, right? Uh, well, yeah, that's when I came to the U.S. and he thought I was going to be a lawyer and then he got disappointed because <laughs> I became a professor. <laughs> they still think I'm going to go to law school. Like, I'm yeah, a whole yeah, professor. Yeah. I have tenure. <laughs> you know? Um, they still think, you know, because, you know, in the Caribbean and in Africa, it's either you're a lawyer, no, yeah, doctor, doctor, engineer, engineer yeah, or embarrassment same, to the, the family. for us here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but, you know, I asked that question because... You know, in my line of study, as you guys know, I, I, I look at uh, the creation of Liberia and uh, African-Americans going there and Caribbean um, people going there and interacting with indigenous Africans and the kinds of dynamics around race that they kind of like redevelop in what was supposed to be a black republic. Once you put black people together, how do they interact with one another? And I draw on that research from the 19th century that I do to look at now, like the diaspora wars. Mm-hmm. You guys see those diaspora wars on Twitter. Yes. yes. <laughs> like the, the Nigerians and the African-Americans. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Caribbean people are at a log ahead like we cannot even like celebrate all together like the world the world championships it's like you know shikari versus you know yeah. <laughs> you know elaine versus you know even with that i saw someone saying that the lady the other tennis player before the one from japan oh uh, naomi osaka yeah someone was saying that yeah she's not really black because she's not uh, african american yeah. well i mean they said barack obama was not really black cuz he wasn't black black cuz his dad was from kenya and so he didn't have that African-American Jim Crow right. history of Middle Passage. He came on a plane. Yeah. He came on a plane. He didn't come on a slave ship. Yeah, I mean, it's, that just kind of points to, you know, the lack, the lack of 
consistency that we even have and like at what point do you get to label yourself as African American or black? You know, I've even heard other groups come in and say like you can't call yourself African American, you know? You you're Well, you hear you hear people say that you can call yourself African American and I see people also people from the Caribbean, people from Africa who go out of their way not to be called African Americans. Oh, I've certainly. seen Caribbean people who as soon as somebody think they're African Americans because we do look African American sure. and that's that's the label that white people have. That's who they know. That's the title. I mean, I give assignments in my class to read a book about 19th century slaves in Jamaica, and students will write, the African-American slaves in Jamaica. <laughs> I'm like, do you know that there are other black people besides African-Americans? Let's do a race, ethnicity, nationality lesson, you know? Yeah. Let but me ask you this to the two of you. It's because they've been not only socialized to only relate mm-hmm. to African-Americans, but because they also think that black is a dirty word. Yeah, that's what you I know? wanted to ask. Yeah. You know, they think black is a dirty word, and it's they think the proper word is African-American. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's how they try to enter it. So the diaspora wars in, the, in our recent time now where we are yelling at each other, it's great to have organizations like yours where students from the Caribbean and from Africa are coming together to kind of like, you know, having different views on on their blackness, but can organize in specific ways to get things um, done. Yeah, I mean, um, I think a lot of groups, as as we had been saying, like, uh, don't even think about the fact that there's so much diversity within the black space itself. Black people are not homogeneous. At all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, a a question that I pose to people sometimes is, like, you know, what what exactly would you do if the only, like, output was, like, all of the same? (laughs) You know, like, if you were a business and you're trying to cater to, like, you know, this diverse group of individuals... But if your business is composed of all of the same people, like how do you come up with good products? How do you come up with like good marketing? You know, how do you develop a strategy for a group for groups of people that you have no idea about? Mm-hmm. Right? What's the first thing you're gonna do? Well, oh, I guess I should go find somebody that looks like them. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, because yeah. I was th- thinking about how your perception of the of the word black, right? Right. Because one of the first is. Most of the things I know about race, because in Ghana, race is not something you actively think about, but my dad talked mm-hmm. about race a lot. Most of the f- things I learned about race come from him, and he's conservative. And he told me that, oh, <laughs> he told me that instead of the word black, call yourself chocolate. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Not, <laughs> not Ghana chocolate over here. We, there's a certain <laughs> occupation that we associate with here when we use the word chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> You're a confectioner. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, for us, uh, you know, our blackness has always kind of been in, like thrown at our face a bit. Yes. Whether you're you're getting it thrown in, in your face by uh, being surrounded by people that don't look like you, you know, or if you're in a group of people that look exactly like you, you know, you're always having to be like aware of like what you say, you know, what place you're in, your your actions, because especially in the groups when you're, you know, the the odd one out. Um, people are quick to think of you as being representative of the whole. And, like, that has its own challenges, you know. Uh, Sometimes there's resistance to you just because of the fact that you're 
you aren't like everybody else. And so, you know, there's a lot of, like, stresses that you have to deal with, um, you know, as you come, as you become more educated, as you gain more wealth, you become a little bit more isolated and a little bit more lonely, you know, when the majority of you are, like, low income from certain areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, again, as I mentioned, you know, we're all from different um, parts and, you know, um, you know, it's from an academic side, you know, I know that your organization, GPSC, BGSA, are doing in real life stuff, bringing these different communities together, but it harkens back to how we think about the making of the black identity, specifically here in the United States, you know, because white people didn't come here as white. They came here as Celtic people, (laughs) as Saxon, as Franks. You know, all of these different backgrounds and then whiteness became an identity and Africans came here, you know, as Ashanti, as uh, Ga, as Ewe, as Fanti, as Hausa, as Yoruba, and they became black. So it's interesting to think about, you know, us being all here now and the shedding of those identities, or maybe not even the shedding, but uh, how we kind of come together in organizations like the GPSC and the BGSA and recognizing that things need to be accomplished and done on campus and putting aside whether it's our ethnic identity or racial identity or national identities even, you know, to kind of achieve a bigger goal. So, you know, what is the biggest issues Facing, you know, what are the biggest issues facing black graduate students at the University of Arkansas from your perspective, having been involved and been at the university for a while? Yeah, um, I would say there's there's kind of a couple things. Um, I would say a lot of it starts with equity. Mm-hmm. You know, you come from a, a different area. You may or may not have had the proper resources that you might need. And so when you get here, uh, you might come with less. You know, you have to find housing. That's a struggle. You know, you got to make sure you have enough food on the plate. You know, I think the school does its best to make sure we have the resources and, and income that we need. But, like, if anybody's a grad student, you know we only have but so much. Yeah. Right? And recently, the wages of graduate students were raised, correct? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. you know. But, I mean, inflation has been... Of course, such a thing Mm -hmm. you know I mean I know since I started my rent is probably about two hundred dollars higher than what it was I know rent that has doubled in the last in just a month it went up with extra hundred dollars yeah yeah and people might not think that's um significant but for graduate students who are not earning that much and are having to work that is significant. Where they're going to make that extra money? Right, and you know, if you're international, you can't like go you can't get do other extra work. work. Yeah. You yes, know, even if you're American, depending on how your your, your stuff program is. Set is up, yeah, I wasn't allowed and hadn't been allowed to go work externally either. Really? Right. I mean, that's it's something that you accept into. I think it's their way of like being fair. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a punch against like my department. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy my department, but. Um, you know, it, it just makes it a little bit more challenging. Mm-hmm. And then I would say uh, faculty. Um, 
you know, I, I've actually met Darity before, and we've had conversations, and uh, I, he actually asked me to come to Duke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me find out, Sandy Dart is trying to steal you. Yeah, and I, I, um, I told him I'd think about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, but, um, you know, I think it's, you come in here, you come over here, right, and you might have an interest in a particular topic, you know, that you want to work on for your thesis or your dissertation. And, um, you know, it's all about how do you match up with the faculty that's available. Your advisor. Right, your advisor. And when there aren't any advisors that look like you, I'm not going to say everywhere, but there's there are very few. Yeah. And um, it just makes it harder to get certain things done. Are interested in studying the kinds of things that you want to study in the ways that, you know, could really produce that relevant effect that you want to see. Right. And I mean, that was his kind of comment to me when we had talked was, uh, you know, this is your your area of interest. And there aren't a lot of people where you are that like represent that. And Mm -hmm. it, it will ultimately take more time for you. Um, but for me, you know, kind of being from Arkansas and, you know, wanting to, what I feel like is like kind of do my part from my point of privilege is to, has always been to like try and like uplift others that look like me. You have to stay where the work is needed. Exactly. You know, and now will I stay much longer <laughs> given the way that our state is? Come I'm not going to get yeah. political, but like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> Thought to link that back to what your field of study is, right? Economics. That's right. Given that you said there are very few people in faculty in that area who are mm-hmm. black, mm-hmm. how did you yourself get into economics and what are the circumstances that drove you to economics? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to answer that. Um, the first one, which would be like a purely economist answer, is scarcity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there aren't a lot of people that look like us in this space. And, you know, if you, do, if you know anything about academia, I'll say this again, uh, people work on the things that they're interested in, and more often than not, it tends to reflect them it's in some kind It's very subjective. Of way, yeah. 100%. And so, you know, I kind of saw like a need there you know, I know there's only so many people that uh, come from where I come from that can add, as you say. And so I thought it was like a good uh, place to sit, you know. And when I say place to sit, I mean in terms of like tackling disparity, mm-hmm. right? We, we, you talk about the educational and the economic disparity, you know, the lack of assets that we have. And, you know, to me, a lot of it kind of comes, you can help alleviate that with um, being present in the space, being able to educate other people that look like you, uh, to bring energy to it, you know, and to do it in like an active way as best you can. So you said that, um, you know, coming here, housing is a big issue Mm -hmm. um, for black graduate students, faculty. I, I don't know what the current statistics are in terms of number of black faculty here at the University of Arkansas, or even the number of tenured black faculty, yeah. or the, even the number of full black faculty? It's, it's not a lot. <laughs> and, um, you know, paying attention to the area, you know, there's only so many people that look like you. It's easy to see when there are fewer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't, I don't feel like the number is really increasing. You know, I, I hope that this is something that the university uh, will kind of prioritize a little bit more. But, um, you know, to kind of echo 
uh, some of the words from the the NWA MLK Council. You know, you have to create these spaces, you know, for people to come in in order to get them to actually stop, right? A lot of us, I think, view this as, you know, we're more transient, right? We come up here, you know, we, we try and either excel forward in education or we come here for a job and the pay. And then we say, well, you know what? Um, there aren't a lot of, there aren't enough spaces that look like me, you know, or there aren't enough uh, restaurants that I really enjoy. There's not enough culture here for me to be comfortable. And then we leave, mm -hmm. you know? And I think a lot of us, you know, even myself to some extent, when I first came, I was like, mm, I know four or five years, I can handle that, you right. know? <laughs> yeah, there's an end date. Yeah, there's an end date. And, um, you know, being here uh, and having met, you know, other groups that, that operate in that way have made it um, easier for me to stay. And I don't, I no longer just automatically think I would go. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, as this, um, you remember Cheers. Maybe you guys are too young to remember Cheers. You want to go where everybody knows your name. <laughs> and they're always glad you came. You guys don't remember the theme songs for Cheers? I know, I know. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Sounds familiar. But, but it speaks to, you want to go, yeah. You want to go where everybody knows you. Okay, so there's another thing too. No, Ghana, there's no Cheers? There is friends. There's no Cheers. But it speaks to something about how we perceive space and, and mm -hmm. you know, why this is an issue, right? It's like people want to be in community and people want to go where people will welcome them and embrace them and there will be things like them and there will be food that they are familiar with and that they will enjoy, right. you know, that it's not just uh, one particular thing that, you know, that is, you know, being attended to. That, that they can also see themselves reflected in a multiplicity of ways um, in these kinds of things. So, so you were saying faculty, um, housing, um, uh, but I see recently this issue with DEI also came up. Is that also an issue that um, black graduate students see as a concern here at the University of Arkansas? Yeah, I mean, um the black students that I've spoken to, which mm -hmm. is probably a fair number at mm -hmm. this point, you know, they they kind of view it as a concern, you know, kind of, there's like a list of reasons. Um, I'll, I'll try and just kind of highlight a yeah. few of them. Uh, I would say the main one is, you know, back in, in June, um, you know, there was a decision to kind of pivot away um, from having like a central office or a central space for that. And uh, the issue there, you know, the first issue is just the signal, you know, that it provides that, you know, that says like, hey, you know, we care about you and your issues. If there's something wrong, if there's something that you need, no matter, no matter how small or large it is, you know, we have this here for you. And, you know, I think um, the movement away from that, at the least in the way it was being presented, has created some challenges for us, right? Outside of the signal, you know, because the signal goes out outside of just the campus community. It's it's people that are looking to come to the university. Mm -hmm. You know, they might look at ASU, they might look at UCA, they might look at you know 
all the other schools within the state and see that they have like a belonging or whatever. And they'll see that we don't have one in a space where there are already only four-ish percent of us anyways. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's kind of a problem in and of itself, just because you want to you wanna be able to tell other people that look like you, like, hey, you should, you should come here, mm-hmm. right? And so I think it's a little bit more difficult to say that comfortably. And then, uh, you know, kind of going forward, I would say, like, the, ma- the maintaining of that space and, and of the safe space for us, like, resources, you know, um, even just a place to go to talk, if you have certain issues come up, you know, that was a a spot that a lot of us relied upon, you know, that would be like our first go-to. You know, if somebody says like, oh, well, where do I go for this? You know, I might say, I don't really know, but you could start there. And they would take the time to figure that out for you. And so there are still, you know, uh, offices that represent that at the college level, but they don't have the same level of funding or support you know, um, yes, they can or open visibility that, or visibility, you know, and like there's no longer a centralized message that, you know, or, or body that communicates between the different groups. You know, they they did a lot of uh, the faculty and staff mm-hmm. recruitment and, you know, um, we don't know what their what the school's plan necessarily is to deal with that you know, at the least in how it's been represented so far. I, I, don't, I don't have any doubt that the school is going to get to that at some point, but it just kind of raises a lot of different questions just across the different functions. As, and, I mean, as, and, and rightfully so, right? You right. guys are students and you're doing your job as students, which is to raise questions. Um, I mean, what's the point of being in college if you're not curious and asking questions? It's no disrespect to the institution to mm-hmm. have an engaging student body who are curious as to how the policies that are governing their lives are being made and how it's being deployed and how it affects them personally, you know, to kind of have these kinds of conversation. And so, um, you know, do you think, or, or what do you say to the people that, you know, DEI is kind of passe or it's mm. not... Um, important, or I see a lot of conversations, you know, that kind of try to tightrope DI into it's about pronouns. You know, it's <laughs> right. about there's this obsession with pronouns. It's an obsession with um, they've tied DI to the trans issue, and right. kind of it's kind of being hamstrung around that. So, what do you say to those kinds of people? Right, at mm-hmm. least from the GPSC, the Graduate and Professional Council, which is a diverse group of graduate students who recently released a statement concerning um, the dissolution of the the office, uh, you know, the DEI office at the U of A. What do you say to these people? Um, well, just to start, you know, the the GPSC is the graduate student government, mm-hmm. and so it's our job to represent kind of the thoughts you know, at the best of our ability, democratically decided for all grad students. Just like the ASG, right? The right. undergraduate students have their voices heard as well. Right, yeah. By by law, actually, or school laws, we're equivalent to ASG. Right. Right, ASG represents the undergrads, GPSC represents uh, the grad students. And, um, you know, I guess the DEI thing, I think, is getting 
you know, personally speaking, uh, a little wrapped up in like that push against like critical race theory, mm-hmm. like you said, uh, the recent AAST thing. And so just speaking from like the point of view as a person of color, you know, it's, it's a bit um, offensive for some of us at the least in that it, it feels like there's a nudge against like the historical context that we had come up with. You know, my great, my grandfather, he's still alive. Mm. He's 95. Mm-hmm. My grandmother, she's still alive. She's 99. Wow. What right. a privilege. Wow. Oh, right. my gosh. Oh, I know. 99 and 95? 99 wow. and 95. You oh know how sad God. I am? <laughs> Why are you sad? I'm going to outlive everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but when I speak to them, you know, I get kind of a unique uh, trip to the past, mm-hmm. you know, from our family's, you know, point yeah. of view. And so what, you know, my great-grandfather, he came around in the late 1800s when the missionaries were, you know, still there and educating people that look like us. And there was some amount of opportunity before the South, you know, retook um, control of themselves. And, And just a point, this is just me speaking, like, historical truths. There's not any opinion in this, right? This is straight from the books and straight from his mouth. Uh, by the time he came into being in the early 20s, you know, the South was already being dominated by Jim Crow laws. And the education that he was able to get, you know, was no longer being, you know, from these missionaries. It was now other people that looked like him within the space that was made available to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he would he told me that, you know, the HBCUs did the best that they could, but it was really not too different from a middle school education at mm-hmm. best when you finished. Mm-hmm. And, Given you know, the disparities in resources and, you know, the kinds of um, discrimination and oppression that black people face with regard to right. segregation and so on. Right. The segregation, you know, the codes that had been put in place, these were all things that were a pushback, you know, from the Confederate South you know, them trying to reclaim the identity that they had had. And, uh, you know, so for him, his life was a bit more challenging. You know, there were schools that he wanted to go to. He wanted to go to law school. Oh, wow. In in Kentucky, and he couldn't, right? You know, a lot of the life decisions that he made were based on availability, you know, a Very bit firm of boundaries were established for him. He could not dream outside of that because right. there were laws set up. Right. And, you know, I would, I would challenge, you know, um, people that kind of push back against this utilization of critical race theory as this uh, tool to illustrate that, you know, we, like, black people have issues with white people or something like that. It's, that's not what it is at all. It's, we all know it's a college-level class anyways, you know, but it's that I am my father's son in mm-hmm. the same way that somebody that doesn't necessarily look like me would be their father's son. And they are their grand, you know, they're the son of their father. Mm-hmm. And so the opportunities that they had impact my life today, mm-hmm. right, in a very direct line. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he was around and would tell stories about the civil rights march, you know, he he would tell all well, the movement in general, you know, he tried to be active in that space, you know. When my father came around, 
he would he would tell me that the decisions and where he lived, you know, and where he ultimately ended up were based on opportunity because he couldn't live in certain spaces. Right, because right? of law. Right, because of law, you know. Um, he, he tells direct stories about how redlining impacted him. He talks about uh, they had been in the South and, you know, in Arkansas for a bit and how many friends and family had to leave, how uh, people were being scared from the farms by the KKK mm-hmm. being pushed into Little Rock. Not to mention that this is a state where one of the largest massacres happened, the Elaine Massacre. Right, the Elaine Massacre. You know, that was something that, you know, Bruff Commons was a a piece of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people were being hung in Little Rock on Broadway Street, if you're familiar. Mm -hmm. You know, that whole West 9th Street, right, that was part of an entire black district. That the highway was ran through and destroyed. Right, and this... that that use of uh, was it eminent domain? Or, yes, right? eminent domain. Um, uh, you know, laws. Well, acquisition. Yeah. That's part of eminent em- em- domain. Mm-hmm. Right, and that the urban was renewal. Urban renewal, right? Mm-hmm. That happened in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. It happened in uh, Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone knows Tulsa, but we had every almost every state where every we black were community has this had, horror story right and we built our wealth we be, we were becoming wealthy you know it's not from a laziness or a lack of effort right it was with the little opportunities that we had we built things for ourselves and they were erased right they were taken from history you know and it, you know it hasn't been that long right mm-hmm. you know my my parents and my grandparents were around during that time I mean, my mother's birth certificate has, like, colored on it as her race, you know. And uh, so I think for me as an African-American, you know, that's kind of where my lens starts is, like, from my parents and my parents' parents because they're the ones who educate me on the way of the world. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to kind of get back to your point about the need for – creating a space that is more diverse, you know, that just, that doesn't mean that it's excluding anybody, that doesn't mean that we're not allowing certain groups here, you know, it means that we're trying to have something representative of all as best that we can. And, you know, I want to say that sometimes we look at certain spaces and I think people try to push back and they say, what, these were the best ones, and I'm like, how do you know? (laughs) How, How do you know? Right. You did not consider all the people, or the people who could be considered weren't in the pool. So how do you know? How do you know that mm-hmm. you are getting the best results that you could make, you know, or that you could get because you do not have your methods of recruiting or getting candidates? You think this is the best methods, but it might not be because if this is the outcome, that is produced when we can look at other areas of university life and see where black people are disproportionately represented. Mm -hmm. We clearly know that there are other ways in which, but if you're going to go by some kind of a lingering stereotype about black people are good for this particular thing, but not for other things, I think that's what we're trying to dispel and why we need that diversity, especially in faculty and in other areas of university of university life and why something like DI is important. And, you know, if uh, 
if you do something to a group of people for an extended period of time, how then do you then make the argument that in order to make the country whole, the, the United States or um, the state of Arkansas or, you know, Fayetteville, to make that whole, do you, don't you have to consider the ways in which Native Americans have been excluded right. or Latinos have been excluded right. or how black people have been excluded? But instead of looking at it like that, you're saying, no, they're getting privileges. No, 100%. You know, I mean, uh, how do you... You can't really say what belonging is without having, like, diversity... Who has been excluded. ...equity and inclusion in it, right? You know, I, I view it... The main thing for me, I think, is just creating, like, the opportunity, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I don't know exactly what movements are going to be made next, or made next, you know? I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have to be kind of, like, nested in reality. Mm-hmm. We are grad students. We only have so much time. You know, we can only give so much energy to mm-hmm. something that, you know, uh, is not necessarily a, a priority. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that you have to have some awareness as an institution that people might feel that way and that there might be a bit of a net loss, you know, across faculty, staff, and students that might feel that way. You know, it's not a push against any particular person or the entity itself, right? It's that it's more of a cry for help. Like, hey, yeah. I understand that this isn't necessarily um, the direction that you want to go in, but like, this is something that was important to us, and this is what helped us. Uh, this is what part of our decision to come here in the recruitment side and helped us stay here, Mm -hmm. you know, and until there's something that kind of um, fills those gaps, right, you you might not um, have a good result in the long run. Nothing is going to make up for that loss of, like, connection, that feeling of loneliness and isolation that you might feel. um, And I know a lot of universities, as someone who's been to a lot of universities, (laughs) <laughs> a lot of them are not located in areas where there is ease of accessibility to the black community and so on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just like other people experience loneliness and, you know, being separated from their family or communities and, you know, being disconnected by things that make them feel valu- valuable as mm-hmm. a human being, you know, we have to consider those things too when we're thinking about you know, the effect of of this kind of a loss as well. So, you know, I'm going to end with what would you like to see happen at the University of Arkansas before you graduate? Other than just, you know, me having a job somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) We wish that you have a job so you can, like, give back to us. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I do think that this just, you know, to preface this, like, I do think this is something that will happen would just be to begin to have some conversations, you know, across the communities, um, real conversations, just about, like, what is it exactly that you you want? What is it that, you know, um, different groups might need, you know, to come here and be more comfortable? We don't, it doesn't really matter what it's called to me, per se, you know. I think it's more about um, just, you know, being actionable about whatever that may be, 
and, and just having everyone involved in the communications. You know, what we had before I thought was good, but it could have been better. You know, I mean, the state of Arkansas, we're about 15-ish or so percent African-American, and the university's only been able to capture about 4% of that. And the communications that we have within our communities are kind of like I had said at the beginning. You know, I think I felt like that was beginning to trend away a little bit, but they've kind of restarted back up, mm -hmm. you know, like, is this where I want to go? You know, you don't want to have to have that as part of your, you know, selling piece is that like you have to convince somebody that this is a safe space yes. for people that look like you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So it was good having you on the show. What do you think makes your um, field of study on discipline? Wait, say that one more time. What do you think make your field of study, you being in the University of Arkansas and studying economics on discipline? Not bound by discipline. Oh, I mean, um, I've never been a big fan of, of laws. <laughs> and rules. <laughs> and rules. Um, only just because, you know, I know that laws and rules tend to be a bit biased. And um, I just believe in creating resistance and standing up for what you believe in. You know, um, I've been noting Malcolm X a lot, but, like, it's that, that righteous indignation, you know. It's, it's not meant... Good trouble. Good trouble, mm -hmm. exactly. But it's not for the purpose of creating trouble. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of speaking your truth. And, like, sometimes when you speak and it's not something that, you know, the whole wants, it might come off as you being, like, you know, a troublemaker mm -hmm. or stirring the pot, you know, but it's, it's really, I think, an opportunity for, for me to communicate and for somebody to listen and then for them to communicate back to me, mm -hmm. you know, and as I said, started communication mm -hmm. and, and kind of grow from there. Yeah, I mean, what, what is, how do we grow if we don't have discomfort? Exactly. You know, and as, as, as people who are invested in education and um, institutions invested in education, we have to think about, you know, um, that this, how do we create that necessary discomfort, not just for students because they have to get out of their comfort zone to right. learn new things and whatnot, but for the institutions to learn, too, that, you know, this is not an affront, but... It's, it's something like it's an acceptable challenge. We're a research one university. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and there's no challenge that we can't meet. You have world-class professors winning million-dollar grants every day, you know, so, you Yeah, know. especially for, like, the faculty and the staff, you know. Um, we're, you know, economics is all about incentives. Yeah. You know, and I, I guess it depends on if you're more in the short game versus the long game. You know, but the faculty, you know, a lot of them worried about trying to get tenure. Yeah. You know, um, they might not be as interested in the plight of a, their humble grad students. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, grad students become faculty. You know, there are just as many grad assistants as there are faculty. You know, we support the school. We bring grants. We grade. I have a class right now of like 100-something students myself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just making sure that you can empathize a bit, especially as someone who had been a grad student, mm -hmm. right? that's how you become faculty. Right. And just, you know, take the time to like talk to, you know, the grad students that are within your vicinity mm -hmm. and just say like, you know, well, how do you feel? Mm -hmm. You know, what is it that you want? 
And you're in your tenure too. I mean, that's my privilege. It's yeah. like, uh, <laughs> you know, what is it good for if you can't stand a little bit of a discomfort and it's yeah. like you're not making trouble, you just... You know, you're raising a, a highlight in a problem right. um, that exists for certain constituents. And those constituents, to me and to a large section of cross-section of people, are not disposable. You know, they're not, irrepla- you know, they're not replaceable. So we, they're not fungible people. So um, if they have concerns, then, you know, it, it, it must be heard by the people who are able to make the decision. So... Uh, that's how we operate as a as a institutions and at least as a faculty that I want to hear students' concern, I hear their feedback, and you know we can discuss what's doable and what's not doable. So uh, you know I salute you for bringing um, your life story and your work and your on campus work in the various organization. I'm so very proud of you. I've seen you, met you on 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 that Fulbright committee. Uh, and yeah, yeah <laughs> I've seen you organize, you know, various things on campus to 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 stand in success. I've seen you, your involvement in organizational life, it, and I'm very, you know, indeed very proud of the work that you do outside of the classroom as well as the work that you do inside the classroom. So thank you so very much today, and thank the listeners for you know tuning into this episode. Thank you for listening to another riveting episode of Undisciplined. This episode was hosted by Dr. Karee Banton and my co-host, Nenebi Tony. It was produced by Leah Grant. Undisciplined is a collaboration between African and African American Studies at the University of Arkansas and KUAF. It's available every other Wednesday at KUAF.com or on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow the African and African American Studies program and the Undisciplined podcast on our Instagram page at U-A-R-K underscore A-A-S-T or visit KUAF.com to listen to this and other episodes. If you like today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or anywhere you listen to your podcast and rate us.